Well, we are in the middle of a series uh, that we're calling Follow. Uh, the series is called Follow, How to Be a Disciple. And just in case, uh, we need to kind of clarify this, just in case, when we talk about how to be a disciple, what we are referring to is how to be a disciple of Jesus. You can be a disciple of a lot of things. You can be a disciple of different people. You can be a disciple of different things. We're referring specifically how to be a disciple of Jesus. And what we've done so far is we've taken a look at the book of Mark and unpacked a little bit about exactly what it means of how we are to follow Jesus. The first week we took a look at the priority of a disciple, and then we took a look at the flavor of disciple, and then we took a look at um, the heart of disciple, and today we're going to be taking a look at the focus of a disciple, the focus of a disciple. And what we've said, <coughs> what we've said so far in this series is that a disciple is someone who experiences the love of Jesus and then extends the love of Jesus to, towards others. And that should kind of have a familiar ring uh, in your head when you hear that. When we talk about discipleship, we're just talking about that concept of experiencing the love of Jesus and then extending the love of Jesus. That sounds kind of like our values connect and impact. What we say in, in our values is as we connect with God and he impacts our lives, we are then sent to connect with others and impact their lives with the gospel. Very similar concept. That's exactly how we are getting that, that definition of disciple of experiencing and extending the love of Jesus. And what we are doing today is we're taking a look at a story in the book of Mark. So if you have a Bible, you can turn to the book of Mark. Uh, you can turn to Mark chapter 10. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, you can use one of the Bibles we have here in Southerton or in Quakertown. Uh, you will turn to page 690. Um, also, if you don't own a Bible, take that Bible home. It's our gift to you. We believe that the Bible is filled with life-changing truth, and we want you to have access to the Bible. So take that one home. It's our gift to you. But before we jump into this story of when Jesus meets this young man and there's this encounter that he has, before we jump into that, just uh, have a question. Have you ever been asked a really good question? Right? Have you ever been asked a really good question and your response, all you can say is like, wow, that was a good question. My youngest son, Justice, uh, is 13 and he asks a lot of questions. He asks a lot of questions now. And the other day, we're in the car, and we're driving, and he's sitting next to me, and he's quiet. And I can see that he's thinking, and I know that something's going to come soon. So I wait, and then finally he looks at me and goes, Dad. I'm like, yeah? He goes, I've got a question. I'm like, okay. He said, Lightning McQueen, for those of you who don't know who Lightning McQueen is, he was a car in the Disney movie Cars, Okay. He goes, Lightning McQueen, does he have auto insurance or life insurance? <laughs> and I didn't know how to answer, and all I could say was, that's a great question. And he comes across with those questions all the time, and he's just pondering about these, and he comes across with great questions, and usually my answer is, that's a great question, I don't know. Today we're going to read a story of when a young man came up to Jesus and asked a great question. But unlike me, Jesus had a great answer. So let's take a look at Mark chapter 10. Verse 17. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? 
Why do you call me good? Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. You shall not defraud. Honor your father and mother. Teacher, he declared, all these I have kept since I was a boy. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said. Go sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. At this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were amazed at his words, but Jesus said again, children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were even more amazed and said to each other, who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, with man, this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. Then Peter spoke up. We have left everything to follow you. Truly, I tell you, Jesus replied, no one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me in the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age. Homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and fields, along with persecutions, and in the age to come, eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last first. Today we're going to learn about how a disciple needs to have a focus that needs to be inside out, upside down, and head over heels. Our focus needs to be inside out, upside down, and head over heels. Let's take a look at inside out. This story is probably one of the most descriptive passages in the Gospels. Mark gives us all these little details, and in these little details we get this powerful story. First, we have this young man who runs up to Jesus. What you need to understand is that wasn't done back then. In the first century, everyday life, work, was, was more physical labor than it is today. And so you don't really have people just running around, especially not recreationally. I mean, many of you, or some of you, like to run. You get up in the morning, whether it's daylight savings time, snowing or raining, you put on your shoes, and you go for a run. That's weird. <laughs> I'm not doing that. Clearly. <laughs> and what happens is, is that that's because we live in a different culture. You know, our lives are a little bit less physically uh, strenuous than they were back in the first century. But back in the first century, running around was kind of undignified. It, it was looked at and it was like, that's undignified. That's just weird. It's undignified. And so when the doctor tells me I don't have enough cardio, I'm just saying I'm trying to preserve my first century dignity. <laughs> but what's happening in here is that this young man runs up to Jesus there's so much emotion in this description. He doesn't just run up to Jesus. He flings himself at the feet of Jesus. Now, this story is also found in the book of Matthew and it's found in the book of Luke. And when we put all three of those passages together, what we learn is that this young man was rich. He was also young. And he was also some sort of ruler. There was some sort of authority that he had in his life. He was an authority over people. He had status. 
And he throws all of that status aside in some sort of emotional response. We don't know why he had this response. Maybe he had just heard Jesus talk and something uh, stirred inside of him. Maybe he saw Jesus do a miracle. But he runs and he throws himself at Jesus' feet and he asks a great question. And the question is in the second half of verse 17. What does he say? What must I do to inherit eternal life? What must I do to inherit eternal life? Great question. Great question. Really bad focus. Really bad focus. Here's why. In that question, what the young man is implying when we read this story is that there's something that he can contribute in order to gain this eternal life. He kind of mirrors a lot of us today, though, right? You know, what, what do I need to do to be all right with God? You know, how many, good, how many rules do I have to follow in order to be right with God? What hoops do I have to jump through? Oftentimes, that is the mentality that we have. It's a great question. What must I do to inherit eternal life? But it's bad focus. And Jesus quickly takes the opportunity to teach a lesson to this young man right from the start. What does he do? He says, why do you call me good? Only God is good. Now, Jesus is not saying that he, Jesus, is not good, and he's not saying that he's not God. What he's doing is he's challenging the man's understanding of who Jesus is, and he's challenging the man's understanding of what good is. He's challenging man's understanding of what, who Jesus is and also what his understanding of what good is. And we see that in Jesus' continued answer. What does he do? He begins to rattle off parts of the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments were the law that God gave his people back in the second book of the Bible in Exodus. And God gives these commandments, but Jesus does something really interesting in rattling off these commandments to the young man. What Jesus does is he focuses on the second half of those commandments. He's focusing on the horizontal commandments, the commandments between person to person. What Jesus does is he actually focuses on commandments that have an external view. You can see the result of these commandments. They are visible to others. And the young man replies, I've done all of these since I was a kid. And then here comes one of my favorite parts of the Bible. Verse 21. Jesus looked at him and loved him. Jesus looked at him and loved him. We read of Jesus' love in the Bible. We read of Jesus and, and John, his disciple, and how John is called uh, the one whom Jesus loves. But a present tense, a present tense explanation of Jesus loving someone, capturing that moment in the moment and actually describing that Jesus is loving someone, this is the only time it actually happens in the Bible. And what was happening here? Jesus loves on this young man. He's not rejecting him when, he, when he's uh, giving him his answer. He's loving him, and he challenges him because what's happening? The young man says, okay, he hears these commandments, these horizontal, external commandments, and he says, I've been doing that since I was a kid. What is he saying? Basically, I'm a good person. I'm not harming anyone. I'm a good person. And for some of us, maybe that's an answer that we give to God all the time. I'm basically a good person. I'm not harming anyone, at least not now. 
I'm not harming anyone. I'm basically a good person. But what Jesus does is he begins to shift the focus. He shifts the focus away from the external, and he begins to shift the focus to inside out. Jesus goes after the man's heart. He goes after the man's heart. What Jesus does is he looks at this young man, and he loves him, and he says, but you're lacking something. Yeah, on the outside, all of this looks good, but you're lacking something. And what Jesus does is he had just given the young man the second half of the commandments. Jesus goes to the first half, the first half, the vertical commandments, the commandments between our relationship, between ourselves and God, and those commandments of uh, you shall have no other God before uh, God. You should love the Lord your God. You should have no idols. Like these commandments, and what Jesus says is your heart Your heart needs some work here. So he says, go sell everything you have. Go sell everything you have. And give to the poor and then come, follow me. Come, follow me. And the man walks away sad. The only present tense example that we see of an action of Jesus actually being pointed out and described as Jesus loving someone. And at least in this moment, that love is rejected. And the man walks away. Jesus calls us to an inside-out focus. An inside-out focus. He's calling after our hearts. Not just our actions. He's calling after our hearts. And from that inside-out focus, he's able to teach also that we need to have an upside-down focus. Because what happens next in the story? The man walks away, and he walks away sad. He, re- he rejects this, this, this call to love Jesus. Uh, at least in this moment, we don't know. We actually don't know the story. We don't know what happened later. I hope this man finally got it. But in that moment, he rejects Jesus' call to love him. And what does Jesus do? He laments. How hard it is, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. He laments. And this, this just rocks the disciples. They're like, what, what, what? What are you saying? Because the Jewish people at that time had their own prosperity theology. The Jewish people at that time had their own prosperity theology. And and this is how it kind of was played out. If you were rich, if you were prosperous, that must mean that God was showing his favor to you. And if God is showing his favor to you, that must mean that you actually are on good standing with God. So a a sign of someone actually having a good relationship with God or being right with God was that they were prosperous. They were prosperous. And what Jesus is doing is he's flipping the script and turning everything upside down in what they understood in their culture. And they're, they're floored here. And, and Jesus goes on, <coughs> and, he, and he goes on, and he begins to even take it a step further. He goes, children, how hard it is. And he begins to give them this picture of a camel going through an eye of a needle. And it's kind of a ridiculous, ludicrous picture. This big animal, this camel going through the eye of a needle. Now, some people, some people um, have studied this, and, and what they say is, you know what? There was actually a gate in the walls at that time of of the city. And when the city gates were closed, there was this small gate called the Eye of the Needle. 
And what would happen is, is that you'd take the camel there and you have to scratch the camel down. And then you got to take all the stuff off of the camel. You got to take the baggage and the stuff. And then once everything was stripped away, you can kind of, you know, shove that camel through that eye of the needle gate. And the whole application was, you need to strip yourself of everything in order to gain the kingdom of God. That's a nice illustration. The problem is, is that there's no biblical proof nor historical proof for eye of the needle gate ever existing. There's no proof that it ever existed. In fact, where that comes from uh, is in church history. It comes from someone named Anselm in the 12th century, over a thousand years after Jesus. That's the first time we kind of read it in church history. The problem with actually adopting this, this eye of the needle gate is this. If that was true, if that's what Jesus was talking about, then it's possible for us through our actions to gain access to the kingdom of God. As long as we strip away enough stuff, as long as we try hard enough and squeeze through that gate, then we can do this. But what does Jesus actually say right after that? He says, it is impossible. It is impossible for anyone to be saved on their own. On their own. Jesus looked at them and said, with man this is impossible but not with God. All things are possible with God. Jesus is flipping the script and he's turning things upside down. He is shifting the focus of those who want to follow him. What does this mean? The camel was one of the largest animals, if not the largest animal that they understood in that culture. He's giving a ridiculous illustration. He's saying, this is not possible. This is not possible for you to do. We can't be good. Not Jesus good. Not Jesus good. And what he says is you are looking on the outside and you need to focus differently. Look inside out. And when the disciples are shocked by this revelation, he calls upon them to abandon their cultural understandings and he flips the script and reveals that God's kingdom is one with an upside down focus. The standards of the world, the efforts of the world, the world's definition of good is hollow compared to the holiness of God. It is only through Jesus that God makes entering into his kingdom possible, not our good works. So we are to have an inside-out focus and an upside-down focus. But what about that head-over-heels thing? What about, what about that head-over-heels focus? You ever fall in love? When my wife and I first started dating back in college, my heart would go all a flutter. I wrote for her poems at least two or three times a week. I'd bring her little chocolates. I'd get up early in the morning because we were in college together. I'd get up early in the morning and I'd walk across the campus. I'd get up extra early just so I could see her before classes started. I did all of these things. Why? Because I was head over heels in love with her. I mean, I still am, just to be clear. <laughs> I mean, I don't buy her chocolate three times. Never mind. I'm still head over heels in love with her. Poems once or twice a year. <laughs> but they're heartfelt. Um, but I'm head over heels in love with her, right? And that's, a, different, that, that's a, a saying that we use in our culture. And what does it mean? It means this deep, passionate love, this deep, committed love, right? Sort of. Sort of. 
if you look at it in our culture, there's a difference between head over heels love in our culture versus biblical head over heels. I mean, biblical head over heels is this deep, passionate, committed love. But if you look at our culture, it actually is based off of my own expectations of return. Right? In our culture, that head over heels love is this romanticized version. And it really has this focus on this expectation of, of, of what this relationship means to me and, and the feelings that I have and my heart going all aflutter. Biblical head over heels love was expressed by Jesus. It is a selfless love. It is looking for no return. It is a deep, passionate love that is expressed through a selfless, serving life. And the head over heels love that Jesus expressed is what he wants them to understand and he wants, he wants them to follow. But even the disciples don't fully get this. Even the disciples aren't quite grasping this. Look at verse 28. Then Peter spoke up. We have left everything to follow you. Ah, Peter. Peter, Peter. If you're not familiar with Peter, uh, Peter is one of Jesus' disciples, one of his close friends. And he's known for putting his foot in his mouth a lot. He just speaks the first thing that comes to his mind. And what is happening when Peter says this? He's actually repeating the story of the rich young ruler. He's actually just repeating the story. It's like rinse and repeat. What did the rich young ruler do? I've kept all of those commands. I've done my part. I've kept all those commands since I was a kid. What does Peter do? He also focuses on the external. He hears a to-do list, and he's like, oh, I checked off all those, all those things on the to-do list. Uh, we've been doing that. We, come, uh, we accomplished our to-do list. And what Peter is doing in this cry is he's looking for some sort of recognition for what he's done. What does Jesus do? Jesus lovingly teaches him a lesson. And what he says is, anything that we could give up, anything that we could give up in this world, it's so small to the return that we get in Jesus. But then he adds a few words. He adds a few words. He says, you'll gain back all of this stuff along with persecutions. Along with persecutions. If you're looking to be a follower of Jesus, if, Peter, if you're looking to be my disciple and you want recognition for the things that you've done, you need to understand that I'm calling you to life, that you'll gain persecutions. What Jesus needs is a heart that is willing to give up everything and go through anything for him. To give up everything and go through anything for him. Because Peter's still looking at his actions, his to-do list, his qualifying efforts, just like the rich young ruler. But Jesus is looking at the heart and he's saying, is your heart head over heels in love with me? The main priority is not the actions. It's the why behind the actions. It's the why behind the actions. See, Jesus is not saying that you should sell all of your goods and follow him. If you're reading this story and you're saying, it's not that Jesus is saying that you should sell all your goods and follow him. Jesus is also not not saying that you should sell all of your goods and follow him. What he's doing is he's addressing your heart. 
So if that's what he's calling you to do, that's what he's calling you to do. But don't take the actions and say, okay, here's a prescription. In order to get into heaven, sell all my goods. No, what Jesus is asking you to do is to declutter your heart. The point is not the selling the goods. The point is following him. And if there's anything that gets in the way, if there's anything that's cluttering your heart that is preventing you from doing that, Jesus is saying, strip that away. Strip that away. Be head over heels in love with me and be willing to give up everything and do anything for me. Our hearts need to be consumed with a passion for Jesus that will cause us to do exactly that, to do whatever it takes, to give up everything and to go through anything for him. Why? Why? Because when you follow someone, you imitate what they do. What follows right after this story is what is called a passion prediction. There are three passion predictions that Jesus does in the book of Mark leading up to this story. Mark 8, 31 to 33, Mark 9, 30 to 32, and Mark 10, 32 to 34. Jesus predicts his death, and he says that he's going to suffer. Right after this story, right after this encounter with this rich young ruler, right after this encounter with Peter, this is what happens in verse 32. They were on their way up to Jerusalem with Jesus leading the way, and the disciples were astonished. All those who followed were afraid. Again, he took the twelve aside and told them what was going to happen to him. We are going up to Jerusalem, he said, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles, who will mock him and spit on him, flog him and kill him. And three days later, he will rise. Following Jesus includes experiencing the love of Jesus and extending the love of Jesus. That's, that's the depth of Jesus' love. That's the depth of Jesus' love. That was Jesus expressing his head over heels love for us. And that's what he calls us to when he calls us to follow. That means we need to live like Jesus and we need to love like Jesus. We need to live inside out, upside down, and head over heels. So how do we do that? How do, what does that look like? How, how do we start to kind of live a life like that? How do we start to live a life with a focus of, of uh, having an inside out focus and having an upside down focus and having a head over heels focus? How, what, what do we need to do? Well, I was thinking about that, and I was thinking about what could we do practically? You know what I think we should do? It's just do a little assessment this week. Just do a little assessment. Where you spend your time reflects what you value. Where you spend your time reflects the passions of your heart. We're going to do a time audit this week. Take a look at your calendar. Maybe you have a calendar on your phone. Maybe you have a, one of those uh, calendars up on the wall, or, or maybe you have like what my dad has, a day planner, and you fill it out. Take a look at that. Where's your time going? Where's your time going? I'm not here to then tell you how to use your time. I'm not going to say, okay, now add all of these serving opportunities to your time, and that's, I'm not here to give you a, a to-do list. This is literally about an assessment. This is about 
assessing your time and seeing where you're using it. And after you finish that time audit, ask yourself, what does this calendar tell me about my heart's devotion? What does this calendar tell me about what I am passionate about? And after you finish that audit, I want you to bring your calendar to God. I want you to pray about it. I want you to ask him to show you how you could use your time better to provide opportunities to experience the love of Jesus and extend the love of Jesus. And something tells me, something tells me that if we do that, we just might understand what it means to love Jesus a little bit more. And we just might understand what it means to follow him. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for your goodness and your love. We thank you for that head-over-heels love that was willing to do everything it took to claim us as your own. God, I ask you that you would allow us to have the right focus as disciples, that we would have an inside-out focus, just constantly bringing our heart before you, constantly not focusing on the external, but constantly making sure that our heart drives those externals because of a love for you that we would live upside down, not focused on what the culture around us values, but focusing on what you value and what you desire from us. And that we would live head over heels in love with you, willing to give up everything and anything and go through anything because of our love for you. As we kind of take a little bit of a look at ourselves, as we take a little bit of an assessment of what we value in regards to our time, I ask you that you would teach us something this week and that you would allow us to bring this before you and show us how we can grow in experiencing the love of Jesus and extending the love of Jesus. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.